We are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Brothers, welcome to the podcast. Today we get to do uh, what I like to call uh, the the third part of the Brotherhood podcast. We have our recaps, we have our actual keynotes from the Brotherhood breakfast, and this is an opportunity where we get to dive a little bit deeper into some what I would classify as topical content. And my goal with this is to reach out to men in the Brotherhood, men in our community that are, are walking uh, through life, and I believe have something that. Uh, the Brotherhood needs to hear. Today is no exception. Today, uh, we have Pastor Greg Scott. He is the next-gen pastor at Church on the Move. Uh, And if that name sounds familiar to you, it's because he's had uh, quite the career at at Church on the Move. Uh, His hand has been in many, many different things. And I am definitely not qualified to uh, talk through all of that. So Greg, if you don't mind, say hello to everybody and tell them a little bit about your history, what kind of got you to uh, the position that you're in today. Well, hello, all my brothers. Good to uh, join you guys today. And well, I've been here, I'm going on my 19th year at Church on the Move. It has been a journey. I have been in every area except finances, and there's probably good reason <laughs> for that. Uh, but one of the passions that I've always had is students and kids. And I think one of my strongest callings is, is that. Um, in 2020, we had a transition out of, uh, for our youth pastor, out of uh, that role and Pastor Witt had asked me to step in and I was very reluctant because I'm 50, I'm in my mid fifties. Yeah. And I thought, how in the world? And as a matter of fact, I turned him down. I went, dude, I don't think we have the right person here. <laughs> I mean, this is no way. And the more I thought about it and prayed about it, I thought, okay, this might be a great opportunity. And so I, after, you know, I've run Dry Gulch, I've run Lincoln, I've done, I've done, next gen once before about five six years ago and now i find myself back in it again which is it's, it's been such an honor to be able to step into these young men and young women's lives and so that's where i am right now it's where god has me it's um man these kids are awesome hmm. they go through a lot but but it's awesome that i get to step into this yeah talk about going through a lot there's there's a lot that kids are dealing with today uh, as I was kind of talking to you about before we started recording, just thinking about my childhood and thinking about the childhood that my kids are going through right now, it's it's it, there's a stark difference. I have way more information. I think they're hyper aware of what's going on around them. It seems like there's a lot of political discourse. There's uh, a pandemic going on. There's all sorts of things going on, which I had no clue. Like my childhood was a lot of, you know, it was just a lot of like me just being a kid. And I almost feel like kids are are forced to grow up more today in, in kind of the world that we live in. And so I guess my, my first kind of question is, is, is what are, what are you, what are you hearing from kids? What are kids dealing with right now? How are they? And what are some of the things as we as as fathers and brothers uh, to that next generation, what do we need to take in consideration? Well, I, I have three things I think that we have to pay attention to as fathers. And I'm going to start it with reading the scripture. This is the scripture that I, the Lord gave Pastor George years ago when he built student ministry and reaching kids. And he actually gave it to me when I took over because I thought, Lord, you're going to, have to give me something here to <laughs> help, help me walk through this. And it's found in Malachi chapter four, verse six, where it says, and I will turn the hearts of the fathers 
to the children. And then the hearts of the children will return to the fathers. So I knew then that dads, we have to go first. We have to be the first ones. If we want to reach our kids, we got to get close to them. We got to come from the heart and their hearts will return to us. Scripture is very clear about it. It's actually the last scripture in the Old Testament before what scholars would say there's 400 years of basically silence. Mm. And so what the whole 400 years, God just basically told them, I need you to make sure your hearts are towards your kids. And one of the biggest roles I think fathers play in, in basically a fatherless generation. I think that's why my role has been what I'm doing right now has been such a gift to me. And I think even to the kids is I'm a dad. I'm not a big brother. I'm not cool. I don't have the cool. I mean, listen, I'm look, I don't wear skinny jeans because (laughs) they don't look good, but on me, but, but the biggest but the biggest thing I think is dads, we have to re-engage with our kids. We cannot disconnect because they need you more. They don't even act like they want you, but they need you. And one of the, I'm going to give you three that I think, or this is what I see when I'm interacting with our students and even our kids is the first one is we have to be really careful that we are so performance based with our kids that I think some of the anxiety for our kids is coming from the parents. And what I mean by that is everything is a number. They got to get the grade. Uh, It has to be a 4.0. I have to have all A's. I have to score two touchdowns. I have to bat 400. I have to score so many points. I have to do this recital and get a certain score. And everything is a number in regards to our kids performing. And here's, here's, here's what we see as the problem. They usually will carry whatever their dad has asked of them into their relationship with God. So what happens is they perform everywhere they go. And so when they get into any kind of spirituality, it's a numbers game. So I, what I tell our kids, our students is, Stop counting. Don't count how many Bible verses you read. Don't count how many chapters you read. Don't count how long you prayed. Because the Bible is clear, at least from what I can see, is God does not count our sins against us. He's not counting. And so as dads, I think we're going to have to pull back. Listen, I agree 100%. We should push our kids. They should have character. They should compete. But when that thing is done, the only thing you should ask your kid is this. Do you want to go get some ice cream? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think that, uh, I think that that point right there, it it hits home a lot. And I feel like, so I got kids in sports and it feels like sports is starting sooner and soon. Like there's a lot of kids that are even pro athletes. They didn't even start until middle school or high school. And now I see that stuff starting all the way in you know first grade or even before that and i think part of it is just guys feel like that's a reflection of them so they're projecting onto their kids and they're putting that responsibility and i I think your point is spot on i don't think that's how god looks at us he doesn't look at us as like i'm not defined by how you 
you act. So I don't have to have you act a certain way. Uh, it's more along the lines of, I care about you and I love you for who you are. And yes. I think that's the difference. Yeah. It's a pretty start. You got to have a lot of balance to that. Cause I, I, I loved sports and I competed. I also think this, I think dads think they were better than they were when they played sports. And they project yeah, the bubbles here. Be careful. <laughs> well, they just—they they have this idea that this, this is an elite machine that I'm dealing with here. And honestly, guys, we weren't, we have stories, but we weren't that good. If we were, we would have gone and they would have found us. If you're that good, they're going to find you. And I do believe in his character development, but I, it, 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 it is so easy to get tilt that over to performance. And they take most of their cues. Their dads are major influencers in their relationship with God. Moms are normally nurturing anyway. Dads, I don't think we ought to be sissies or wimps, and I don't believe that because I'm not. But I do think there needs to be a side of us that is not, we don't gauge our kids off of performance. We say we don't, but I think you ought to be, here's what I would do. Make sure, just, just start taking us, just start writing down, what kind of questions you ask your kids and see how performance-based it is. And it's going to probably shock you. How was your day? Did you do good in blah, blah, blah? How was practice? Did you start? Did you whatever? And that's one thing I think is a big issue with our kids. They're super high performance-based and they bring it over to their relationship with God and which basically means they'll never be able to measure up because I didn't pray enough. I didn't read enough. I didn't do anything enough. And God just says, I don't count anything against you. I love you. Yeah. And I want to go get some ice cream. <laughs> I have well, actually... we've, we've talked about that a little bit, like the scoreboard mentality, mm -hmm. because when you're, when you're being raised, you, you can always see how you're doing, right? So you can see my grades. I can see my, I, how many games we've won. I can see my stats but then you 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 kind of move out of the house and you get out on your own and the scoreboard then becomes how much money is in my bank account how, you know, how am i am i marrying the right person and it it's just this ever ending cycle and i think part of the challenge with that is is it's really easy with social media to feel like you're losing yep. on the scoreboard of life because you start looking at the highlights and completely miss you know what what true fulfillment is what true peace is what true relationship with god is and relationship with other people looks like because you think it should be something else because up until that point you've had a way to keep track and now you don't uh it's moreover like length of friendship or maybe um you know having the accessibility of free time the scoreboard just feels different and and a lot of people i don't know how to function in that world yeah i'm yeah, I just want to, I want to be careful that we don't get rid of a scoreboard because I think it's important for people because they're never going to get rid of it. It's not going to go away. It's just how we how do we do it? What's the engine that drives it? Is it from my relationship with God or is it proof of my relationship with God? And so uh, we just have to really balance that, especially as dads, because, man, you're, we are we are setting the tone on how our kids, you know, will or like this. Here's a great one. We'll spend all weekend on a ball field, but we won't ever take them to church. Hmm. That's a that's a tough question we need to be answering. Yeah. And as men, we need to answer that question. And I've had to. 
Listen, I came up with this whole idea of I never would. I pushed my kids so much they didn't want to hear me anymore. So finally, my daughter's the one. I totally blew it on Ethan, my oldest. I've apologized to him profusely about it. And then Abigail, I started seeing. So I quit coaching all of my kids. And every time they played a game, I never asked them anything. I just said, hey, after it was over, win or lose, let's go get some ice cream. That's all I said. Because I want a relationship with them afterwards. And anyway, that's the first one. That's for me. Is that Yeah, that's a pretty high, high top topic. Hey, here's the second one. I think we have to, we're going to have to address this stuff with our boys, especially our boys with sexuality. This is a huge issue. And not, not being crass about it, but engaging our boys in conversations about where they are, what's on their phones, what are they looking at? What are they dealing with? Because we don't think they're dealing with any of it. And the average age is 10. Wow. Of kids that have viewed boys that have viewed pornography. The average age is 10. And if you're in a Christian environment, we think there's a bubble over our kids and we won't go there because of that. Or we think they're naive. Our kids are not naive. We are naive. They are not naive. And I'm not saying you should go talk about it just full force, but it needs to be appropriately done at the right age. But you you are never going to get free from that conversation. And if you do, somebody else is going to do it for you. And it's the danger of men, because generally speaking, men may struggle with this a little bit and they're condemned and they feel guilty. And because of the things that they're going through that they won't engage, you know, they don't feel confident when they're going to talk to their kids or their boy, their boys. But man, we've got to put that behind us, man. We've got to just go, Hey, this is what guys deal with. So let's talk about this. Gabe, Ethan, let's, let's have a conversation. Even your daughters, it, 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 these conversations need to be had because the world is not stopping. And our little Christian communities want to hide this as if it doesn't exist. And it's the biggest, it's probably the biggest issue facing our kids today. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's part of the, the capital B brotherhood is having a community where you can have those conversations. You can have accountability. You can talk about your struggles and you can talk about, you know, what, what freedom and redemption looks like on the other side. And I think that, um, up until recently, it's it's definitely not been talked about very much at all. It's almost been kind of swept under the rug of, yep. you know, oh, you know, it's we're just going to ignore that. But now it, we need to confront that head on. I, I feel like the capital B Brotherhood is starting to do that a little bit more. But I think it's it's good to have that reminder that we need to have those conversations because, you know, even if even if it's something that you struggle with uh, and you don't know if your kids do or not, I mean, that's that's all the more reason right there uh, just because, you know, they're, they're going to walk down some of the similar paths. And if you can have that honest, transparent conversation with them, you know, hopefully that'll open those doors to, to have those conversations where, like you said, if we go first, the the kids will, will, or they'll turn to us. And that's, that's really what we want to have. Yeah. Some of it is we don't want to wait till our kids get into what we've gotten into before we have the conversation. We want to do preventative fatherhood to where we're in their worlds. We understand we're not afraid of it. You may have gone through it and there may be some shame and guilt there, 
but it doesn't mean you can't talk to your kids in a very healthy way from father's perspective on this. Because listen, the Instagram, the TikToks, the Snapchats, they are not avoiding this with your kids. And we can't do that. We have to engage this subject because it's not going away. You can put them in a private Christian school. It's not going away. You can send them to church or 180 tonight if you want to. But that doesn't mean this is going away because it's not going away. And it's in our culture. It's full of our, it's in our music. It's in every video, every advertisement. It doesn't matter. It's the agenda of the world. It's just how it is. And it's an issue. Uh, but I, we just don't need to be afraid of it because God has given us ways to do to talk about this, and it's supposed to be in the in a Christian marriage and done in the right way and healthy. And we have to go first. If we're if we're second, we're behind, and we just can't do that. So that's the second one. I think the third one is depression and anxiety. The when we had uncommon this past summer, uh, we there was a guy that came and spoke, and he gave an altar call, just a ministry time for kids that were dealing with suicidal thoughts or anxiety and depression. And I thought, okay, we'll be able to handle this. It's probably you know a good twenty, thirty people. Half of the kids went forward. Wow. Now we had over six hundred kids there, bro. And I was, I sat there, I didn't even stand up. I just sat there and wept. And I went, oh my gracious, what am I going to do? So right now we're in a series on anxiety and depression right now at 180. We've been on it for like seven weeks. And it's, it's an issue with our kids. And a lot of it is because there's, I think COVID has done that to them where there's a lot of isolation. I think what you talked about earlier, there's, there's so there's so much information that they're receiving from uh, the YouTubes, the social media platforms, and just the diversity of problems that they, they feel like they're dealing with. Plus the family issues, half of them come from, you know, blended families or broken homes. And there's just a pile of issues that we haven't, I don't know that we haven't fathered them well, but we just, as a group, we got to pastor it well. And the, the good part about this is I think it, it doesn't have to just be on dads or the home. The church can partner with this. We, we can get our kids in environments and in groups to where, hey, you know what? We can really address this. And so we, we decided we're going to do this. So we spent almost the whole third, fourth quarter of this year talking about this. And we're still, I have like two more weeks on it. And that's, but it is a huge, it's an epidemic in our culture. It's not just kids. I think their parents are dealing with it. I think all of, all the job situations, all the vaccine things that are happening with companies and corporations and all that stuff, the it has heightened the stress, anxiety. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to on the phone, just praying them through situations like this. And students hide it because they, and here's the, Evan, this is one of the most important, probably maybe the most important thing I'm going to say on this, on this podcast is you have to be careful because when a, when a, when a family is under stress, the kids are the ones that suffer because they're not allowed to talk. Mm. And what we do, because our, our stress is heightened, 
we want them to be quiet because they're bringing more stress into it. So we tell them things like be quiet and go to your room or, but they have real issues that they need to talk about and help. And most of the time kids are told to be quiet. And I'm just going to say this. If, if your kids don't have a voice, they're going to talk to somebody and somebody is going to talk to them. It's just a matter of time. They're going to deal with it one way or the other. And the good part is, is if we, if we get help, we can face these things with confidence in our relationship with Christ and through study and scripture, then we should be prepared to help our kids walk through it because our kids are going through as much, if not more than the adults are. We just don't think so. I mean, when I was a kid, I don't know if it was like you, but man, when something came up, you just, if you, as a kid, you just, you be quiet. You go to your room and you don't talk. There's adults in the room. And the problem is, is I'm alone. And it's my responsibility as a dad to help my kids have a voice. They need a voice. They're not going to say everything right. But the good part is uh, God has equipped me to be their dad and help pastor them. And so just make sure we're not shutting our kids off because they have enough anxiety and depression. We need to lead them. They don't need to be chatting about everything, but at the same time, they need a place to express it because if they don't, they will go inward really quickly. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I feel like that's, I mean, that's stuff that we deal with, right? I think a lot of people just want to be heard right now. They, they have Mm -hmm. a voice, they have an opinion, they want to, they want to express it. Uh, And then if you're in a situation where you don't get to voice your opinion or or whatever else, you feel stifled, you feel like, you know, everything's being taken away from you. And then you, you, I could see where that would easily go into depression and and anxiety because you you don't feel like you have any control. You feel like the the world's moving and you're just kind of caught in this current of what's happening and you just feel helpless. And I, I think that I heard it in a podcast not too long ago. It's like when people are dealing with thoughts of depression and suicide, it's the overwhelming feeling that this feeling will be here for another 60 years. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not just, oh, like, you know, I'm having a bad day. It's looking at the situation and going, I am going to have a bad day for the rest of my life. And I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. And I think that that's where it, like for me, it kind of opened my eyes. I'm like, okay, now I understand why some people go with that. Cause I, I was, I've always kind of grown up with the suck it up mentality, right? You know, rub some dirt on it. You're, you know, you're going to power through this. Uh, everybody has problems, just deal with it. And I think the problem is, is that that destroys relationships. Um, and it, it destroys the relationships with your kids. It destroys your relationships with your, with your brotherhood. Because mm-hmm. if, if I'm just powering through and I'm not vulnerable sharing the challenges that I have, then I become the person that nobody wants to share their challenges with because I'm the guy that has it all together and I can't relate. Oh, yeah. and when I'm in that, when I'm in that situation, I, I find myself alone. And when I probably need a community the most, I have nobody I can call because I've built this narrative. I'm, I'm the guy that can figure it out. So if I tell somebody that something's been, something's going wrong or I, I'm, I'm having, I'm anxious or I'm having fears about stuff, they're just going to go, well, you just figure it out. You'll be fine. And I'm like, no, I need some, I need somebody to hear me right now. And it's almost like you're making deposits, uh, through vulnerability, through relationship to where you can have that community where they can lift you up when you need it. And you can lift others up when, when they need it. Yeah. A lot of it has to do with your teaching them to solve problems. And you're right. There's comes a time in your life where, okay, nobody's going to, nobody's around. It can help. And that's fine. But I need a, I need a place 
where I can process this, but also a place that I can, somebody can help me solve this. It doesn't mean you don't solve problems or that you're, that you're strong all the time. It just means, okay, I need somebody to help me here. And kids need a voice into that. It's listen, most of the time, my Polly, my wife, she doesn't, she may say something that she's not asking me to fix everything. Now I want to fix everything. <laughs> when she's voicing things, my mind immediately goes to solving mode. And she's not asking for that. She's asking to be heard. And our, our kids are that way. I just need to be heard. You don't have to solve everything. Or if you do, help me solve it. How do I, how do, I do this? And teach them. Because I, I don't believe in just talking to people and crying on their shoulder all the time. Because I don't think that's true brotherhood or manhood. I, I think it's having a group of people you can talk through that can help their wise counsel. They're going to give you some advice and then you, you may need some help emotionally with it. But at the same time, okay, I can do this. I have, I have some friends and God's with me. Let's go help solve this. We don't want to live in a world of whining and crying all the time because I think men want to solve things. And I think God created us to solve yeah. And, but we need people sometimes to go, Hey, I need to talk about this. And our kids are there. They need to be heard and just as much as we do. So, so I want to dive a little deeper into that because I think that, uh, I think that's a, I think that's kind of striking a chord with me for the person that's listening, that is sitting there, sitting there going, how do I have those conversations? Because when I ask how their day is, it's good is the response or it's like one word answers. Mm -hmm. Um, what are some, some effective ways that you've seen or even that you've heard from kids that has been like, like I knew this person was willing to listen when X, Y, Z, what is, what does some of that look like? And what are some steps that we can take as, as, as parents and fathers to, to start opening those doors? Well, one of the best things I think you can do is take your kids out to get food. Don't do anything but go get them food. And don't ask one word uh, questions. How was your day? That's it. Every man in this world is going to go, it was great. No, you ask, hey, tell me about your day. What was great about your day? Make them be specific. What was what really stunk about your day? But here's the gate. You go first. The dads have to go first. And then you can say, well, let me tell you about my day. My day, man, right here, it stunk. I had a bad day today on it right here. <laughs> we don't want to do that because we don't want to look weak to our kids. But you're showing your kids how to do this. And just let them say it. And you say it. They're not going if you don't go. They won't go. Because you've modeled everything that they're supposed to do anyway. And I haven't done this well. I'll be, I'll be the first one to tell you. I haven't really done this well. I'm better at it than I used to be. But my kids are all out of the house now. So I'm living in some regret. And so totally don't try not to do it when it's tense or, you know, just weird for them. Just take them to lunch. I had a guy tell me one time. That I ought to take my kids. I went to counseling here in uh, Tulsa, and a guy told me, I was telling him all this stuff with my kids, and he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your kids out, take them to dinner, and the first thing I want you to do is, the first question I want you to ask them is, 
do you know what one thing I would change about you if I could? And of course, your kids are going to freak out. And, and they'll say, no, Dad, I don't know. And he said, I want you to look them right in the eye and say, absolutely nothing. I wouldn't change a single thing. I like you just like you are. Man, I'm telling you, you start talking to your kids like that, whew, it'll change the world because everything's performance-based with our kids. And everybody says they love their kids. That's all right, but do you like them? And your kids want to be liked. I would totally go ask weird questions. Don't ask questions that you normally ask. Ask really weird questions like, hey, uh, you like any girls? Oh, it's a great question to ask your boys because they have to answer that. I mean, they have to go, hey, or I saw you. You need to be observant around them because if you see them around to somebody and a girl, you need to ask about that girl. Hey, what about Abigail? And, of course, they're going to freak out on you and all that kind of stuff. And they said, listen, I mean, you just start talking dad stuff. Just talk dad stuff and just be a normal human being. And... I would totally do that. I mean, just get them out and say, hey, we're going. If you do it once a month, do it once a month with my kids. And just go. Say, hey, just want you to know. What's going on? Tell me. I know what your grades say. I don't care about your grades. And you start saying that to kids. Of course, people, parents freak out when you start talking like that. I get Every time I do a chapel or something, I talk to kids about their grades and Listen, God doesn't care about your grades. I always have a teacher or somebody come to me and go, God does care about their grades. And I know he doesn't care about their grades. You care about their grades. God doesn't care about their grades because God's not grading them like that. Mm. And because if he did, he's holding all of our trespasses against us, and he's not going to do that. We want him to excel as much as possible. But just, man, I'll tell you, if you could just be a normal person with your kids, you'd, you'd go a long way. Just normal. Can you tell them about your day or do you have to have it all together and power through everything? It needs to be appropriate. Don't go into a five-year-old and tell them all your, your day. Just <laughs> it needs to be appropriate. But I will say this, once they get 12, 13 years old, guys, man, I have a rule. Here's how I think parenting should be done. Now, this is going to be a little, I don't think it's controversial, but I don't know how many people think about it. When your kids are in elementary you should be walking in front of your kids. They should be walking behind you because you're a protector. But as soon as they get into middle school, they need to walk beside you because you're a teacher. And what you want in middle school is you want your kids going, you want to be asking your kids, do you see what I see? Because when you're in front of them, they can't see what you see. So you're protecting them from things that they can't see. But when they get in junior high, they're beside you. And what you're wanting to do, do you see what I see? And you're, you're teaching. You see that? Watch that. You see that? Watch that. And then you're asking, what do you see? Then when they get in high school, the biggest thing they want in junior high is affirmation. They're just trying to, do you like me? Does anybody like me? Do I like me? Mm -hmm. So the biggest thing for 6th, 7th, and 8th grade boys especially is affirmation. Did I do good? Did I do good, Dad? That's why I stopped performing. Stop. Try to get them to stop performing and just go, I like you. But when they get into high school, ninth grade, 
10th grade, especially when they get their license, their number one thing they need is freedom and they're going to go for it. But here's what you have to do. Then what happens in high school is they walk in front of you, but they're really close. So that when you're walking right behind them, you, your, your voice is right by their ear. So you don't want to give them too much distance. You want to stay right behind them in high school. So they are helping, you're helping them make decisions, but you're not, it's, it's a lot of suggesting and a lot of holding on to them and making sure they're not doing anything stupid because when they turn 18, you're, you're into suggestions and they can walk out of your house. So the, <laughs> when you're in elementary, you walk in front of them because you're protected in middle school, you walk beside them because you're a teacher. And then when you walk into high school or you walk behind them because you're a guide. Mm-hmm. And so when you do all of those things, you're setting yourself up the best you possibly can for your kid to actually grow up and be successful. Walking with God, number one, having a career and a family that is successful and honors God. That's great. All of it's great. I got tons of notes here. So <laughs> this is the, and I, the analogy that you gave of, of walking in front of a side and, and uh, behind, I, I think that that's from a, from a parent's st- standpoint, and, and I'm, I'm currently walking beside my kids right now, uh, I'm in that phase. And uh, you're right. There's been plenty of times where I, I've just, they've been talking about somebody at school that did something and I'll just ask them, what do you think about that? Yes. You know, where, like, does that bother you? Does that bother you? Or, you know, did you, what, what were you kind of feeling in that moment? Did you feel like you should do something? You should say something? Or did you just want to ignore it and walk away from it? And I think that do, that does create that space to have the conversation. Um, yep. My kids were asking me about politics one time, and I specifically <laughs> did not tell them my thoughts on anything political other than this is what this party believes. This is what this party believes. This is what, uh, you know, th- these these yep. are why they believe it. What, now, now tell me what you think about that. Yep. And it was interesting to hear well, I, I agree that we should protect people and we should look out for people. But at the same time, I think you should have personal responsibility and you should do do these things and just kind of seeing where they were at. And it was really insightful uh, to kind of see where they thought it was. It wasn't anything that I was telling them that they should do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of the things they were just like, I can't believe that they would do that. I, I can't believe that. I'm like, well, this is the world that we live in. This is These are some of the conversations that you need to figure out. Like, you know, what's, what's, what are priorities for you? Uh, and when you have those conversations, um, it helps them have a safe environment where they can develop those thoughts. I feel like in the world that we live in today, there's no room for growth. (laughs) Like we're supposed to know everything and we're supposed to be the smartest people in the room. Uh, and anything that happened historically, uh, well, those people were idiots. And I think that the kids are probably really, afraid to speak up because what they say now will be held against them in the future. Mm-hmm. And we need to create a, a safe space for them to have those conversations where they can work through those thoughts mm-hmm. because they don't have the luxury of, of the history that we have. Yeah. I mean, some of it, I, what you're doing with your kids is, is a great rule of thumb for all of us is when they're asking, when you're having difficult conversations with your kids, the word why, the question, why are you, why do you think like that? Or what do you think about that? Man, it opens, you know, people think they want their kids to be quiet. No, you don't. 
because you don't know what they're thinking. You want to get their words out so that you know what they're thinking. So if you need to curb it or encourage it or stop it, you can do either one of those. Because your, your kids will never get off without their thought life and their mouth getting off first. Hmm. So the more quiet they are, the you're at a disadvantage as a dad to curb it. So you want their thoughts out, even if you don't like them. You want them out. And how you respond when they come against something or something you are very strong on and they say something about it, your reaction to that is going to be critical. And that's why what you're doing is phenomenal because they need to process their thoughts. Your job as a parent is to help them process their thinking, the culture they live in, in a biblical, responsibly mature way and help them grow up so they can do it. And what we've done is we've sheltered so many of our kids because we want them in a Christian home. We want them in a Christian. And I'm not against that. I did all that with my kids. And we shelter them from true, real problems that as soon as they get to college or wherever and they hit the, the culture of our world, dude, I mean, they, they are rocked. Some of them are mm -hmm. rocked and they don't know what to do because they don't know how to think. And so what you're doing, fabulous. Toad, I wish I knew all that when I was growing up. Okay. <laughs> I'm learning. Well, we have, we have mentors like you and, and, and people like, uh, you know, Pastor George that, you know, as, as we've kind of grown in our, our history and our walk that have modeled some of that for us. I, I, as you're talking about some of this, I thought about a story that Trandy Birch told me, uh, where, you know, it has with him being a, a superintendent of a school that he's had to have difficult conversations where a kid has made a, a pretty big mistake. Uh, they ex maybe explored their independence a little too much. Yeah. And now the parents are being brought into the room to kind of confront the kid of, of, you know, like it's all in the open now. And, uh, I, I still remember him saying, before he walked in the room with the parents, he looked at the parents and said, your response in these next five minutes are the is the most important response you can possibly have. If you flip out and you freak out and you you have, you know, you start getting onto him, he's like, that's not what they need right now. They just need somebody to love them, to tell them it's going to be okay, and to help walk through that with them. They need a parent right now. There will be a time for discipline. But in yeah. this moment, they need to have a parent. And, and I think that echoes what you said earlier. It's just really taking in consideration those moments, how you're reacting to them exploring that independence is going to dictate how those next couple of years of independence uh, goes. Because they're either going to start hiding it from you even more. They're, and they're, I was pretty good at it. I'm sure that uh, your yeah. kids are pretty good at it too. Yeah. They're going to find ways to get around it. Or if they're really in trouble, are you the first person they go to? Because they know that that you're you're a safe place for them to help figure out how to how to find a solution for it. That's absolutely true, no doubt about it. The other thing I'd say too is make sure you apologize to your kids when you're wrong. Absolutely, you have to apologize to them because if they don't, they just look at you as a hypocrite. I've had I can't tell you how many times I've had to sit down and say, "Listen, I'm sorry, Dad overreacted right there," or "I was wrong there. I didn't give you enough voice in this." It's, I'm sorry. Go ahead and own it because listen, guys, it's not, you don't have to be right all the time. You don't have to be right with your kids. You have to listen and be humble enough to go, you know what? I made that mistake. That's, yep, I did it. I'm sorry. You do that, 
Don't do it when it's not necessary or if you're not wrong. But when you're wrong, <laughs> yeah. I, Polly's told me this and as, a, as a husband. She said, Greg, you're normally right in your viewpoint, which I gloat in many times, okay? As you should. I feel like that's a, that's a, that's a key moment right there. How would we not? But then she says, but how you said that, you were completely wrong. Yep. And she said, therefore, to the kids, you're wrong. And I went, okay. So I just go to the room, say, listen, I need to own this. Don't ever say what your mama said. Don't do it until you can own it. <laughs> because you have been wrong. We are wrong. We've been wrong. And it doesn't make us, our kids are actually respect us more. Because here, here's the thing, Evan. I, we are preparing. I don't want to lose my kids in the first 18 years of their life and not get to enjoy 19 to 60. Because I was so hard-headed when they were 0 to 18, I was going to have my way and I'm going to either beat it into you or I'm going to manipulate you into what I think. And then I lose a relationship. It takes me 18 years to ruin 19 to 60. We just can't do it. Now, I'm not, listen, you're right. They explore their independence. Some of them do it way earlier than they should, but they're your kids. This is what you signed up for. Are they hard-headed? Yeah. You ought to go talk to your parents every now and then, see how you were. <laughs> and the thing about it is, is these kids, will they're the only, or they're the first generation that doesn't know, they, they only know digital, a digital world. I don't, I didn't know a digital, if I had had what they had when I was a teenager, oh my goodness. There's no telling. The phone, access to the internet, 24-7. So I heard a guy say one time is you just need to remember this. When your kid turns 16 and gets a car, he has access to the whole city. When you give him a phone, he has access to the whole world mm. and everybody in it. <laughs> yeah. And you just need to remember you, I'm responsible for what influences come into my kid's world. And you had to live with the consequences of that. And so it's a, it's a big responsibility, but we do have the power of Christ. It's one thing we have, and we have to use it, not in, as a weapon, but as humility, as a, as a group of men to go, okay, how do we do this with our boys and our girls? Cause we can do this. We have been put in a position by Jesus. We were born into the kingdom for this century, this time, and he gave us our kids. And guess what? You didn't get to pick them. You didn't get to choose. He did it. And because of that, he has given you and I the equipment. And everybody else, all our brothers that are listening, he has given us the tools, if we'll follow him, to raise the kids that we have. I'm thinking about a lot of stuff as you're, as you're talking about that. One, I think it's important to recognize that I think there's a lot of guys that their childhood uh, consisted of like being that kid holding the flashlight for dad, just hoping to shine it in the right place and not get yelled at versus like what, what we what we want to work towards is, you know, that dialogue, that conversation to, to engage our kids. So, so we're kind of torn from our childhood and, and going, well, I'm not that screwed up to like, how do, how do I kind of 
go from there. And I think part of that is having conversations like this uh, so that we can encourage men and fathers to kind of take a look at, all right, so what did what can you learn from your past, right? I'm sure there's obviously some stuff that you can learn there. But on the other side of it, you know, how do we do it better? Uh, you know, for, for the longest time, uh, I was the kind of person that f- said I could figure this out on my own. Like if, if there's a challenge, I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to, I have time and resources. I'm going to solve this problem. And raising kids is not a problem for you to figure out or a challenge for you to figure out on your own. It is as much input and information as you can glean as possible is going to accelerate that, that process. Because if I think about my eighth grader, I only have four or five years left of him in the house. And that just like, when you say it in those terms, it just doesn't make sense. It's like, wow, where did it go? It felt like they're always going to be here. And in reality, I have so much information that I have to cram into the next four to five years. Uh, and, and part of that is, uh, learning from other people and learning from situations of like, how do, how do we walk through this phase of life? We're all trying to figure it out and we need to give ourselves a little grace in that, but don't, don't try to figure some of this stuff, stuff out on your own. Lean into some of these resources. Lean into uh, a, a brotherhood of people uh, and, and go through those challenges together because I guarantee you if I was trying to do this on my own, I'd be screwing it up left and right. I, I feel like I'm doing a, better than average, but there's still a long way to go. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't want to talk about like you know maybe how some of the things they're doing because we might think that we're doing good and then next thing you know – you know, there's a cop knocking on our door saying that our kid was speeding down the street or, or doing something else. And you're just sitting there going, I don't I don't want to get, you know, too ahead of myself. But at the same time, I do want to help other people because I think and I don't know about you, but it's really easy for me to see what other people are doing wrong. Mm-hmm. But I hate being told what to do. So you, I have to have this kind of uh, this tension of like, how do I help other people, but also uh, you know, be respectful in that communication. I think community and brotherhood is, is hopefully where we create that environment where we can do that. Absolutely. Listen, if I was watching three things for my kids, I would be watching who their friends are, their friends, their phones, yep. and their foes. Who are their enemies? Speak a little bit about their foes. Cause I, I well, I'm curious to what you mean by that. Everybody knows who their friends are and everybody knows that your life basically is going to go the way of the group that you're around. That's why brotherhood is so important. Your friends, who are they? You better know who they are. Will they fight for you? Or are they going to get you in trouble? And you need to know who your, your kids' friends are. Their phones, no big deal. Everybody should know that. What's on their phone and their foes because there is an enemy. Yeah. And who are the people that he's influencing to get them around what's what's going on in their world where there's a foe you have your kids have an enemy and you have to know that it can't just be uh, who's your friends they have a foe who is the enemy and it could be their girlfriend it could be whatever it could be their co- coaches it could, i'm not saying don't go judge everybody but what <laughs> what's, what what's the attitude that your kid comes home with when they hang out with Oh, okay. 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 I'm picking up what you're laying down. You're saying, so, uh, so I was thinking like true enemy, like, like who are the kids that are bullying my kid or something like that. But I think, I think it's, it's more than that. It's, it's who are the kids from a friend's perspective that are tearing your kid down instead of building them up. Yeah. And they, they might still be a friend. Yeah, that's right. 
That's the scary. That's not the scary part, but this is the deceptive part. Everybody knows that a foe is a bully. A bully is a foe. Mm-hmm. What they have a hard time realizing is somebody close to them is actually their foe, but they don't know it. Yeah. Those are the most dangerous ones because they're the deceptive ones. They're the, there's the half truth people. I want to keep you close for a certain reason, or it could be a lot of things. Just, just make sure that when we're doing this, we're not naive. That's the biggest thing I have with Christian parents because they're so naive. Yeah. And they think their kids are the greatest things in the world and they're not. I love all of our kids, but I love my kids are fun. I love my kids, but listen, they're just like you. They are just like you. Listen, I, I truly believe this. I think every human being is one stupid decision away from losing everything they've ever had. In this world, I 100% agree with that. And a, an adult man can do that as easily as a teenager can do that. Mm-hmm. And we just need to be aware. Everything I'm saying today, I want to make sure that we're not operating out of fear in any of this. Because fear is not from God. We're going to operate from a spirit of faith a spirit of hope and a spirit of, Hey, if I do this, man, the odds are that my kids are going to really, that's why you don't ever back away. You fill every gap. If a kid, if you know there's gaps in your kid's life, don't sit back and wait because if you don't fill it, somebody else is, we're not going to walk in fear and let some abdicate this. We're going in. Mm. You smell smoke. We don't run from our house. We smell smoke. We go toward. And so when we smell smoke with our kids, we're the one God is, Nobody else is going. And so you go. But we're not going to do it out of fear. Nothing we said today should be ever done out of fear or anything. Even if your kid, you've done something and your kid doesn't trust you, doesn't like you, or something's happened in a marriage, or and you're maybe even at fault for, for some of it. Listen, do the best you can. Apologize the best you can. But don't be afraid to get in their world and even apologize. Yep, I own that. But don't do it in fear. Do it out of faith. And trust in God. And God will have to make up the rest. Yeah. I think that's something that I know we've talked about on this podcast is, is recognizing the spiritual battle side of this. I think sometimes we, we get in situations and we, we feel like that person just has it against me yeah. or, 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 you know, this kid is just, uh, just unreachable or whatever else. But I, I think that when we take a step back and say, okay, there is an enemy. There is a spiritual battle going on. I think I think COVID is a spiritual battle. I think that vac- the vaccine conversation is a, a spiritual battle of division. I think that a lot of the things that are happening right now, when you take a step back and you go, okay, this is a spiritual battle, and we need to give that to Christ. And yeah. you know, what is our response to that? How do, how do we move forward with that? It it doesn't become personal anymore, and you recognize, okay. Like this is something that we can work through, but it's going to take prayer. It's going to take community and it's going to take us running towards the situation instead of running away from it. I think that that's a big part of having kids is you think that because they share the same bloodline as you, that there, there, there's not going to be any issues. There's going to be a lot of issues and it's how you respond to it and how you prepare them moving forward. When, When you were talking about, you know, having a foe and having an enemy or, you know, that style of it, it, it kind of made me think of, you know, some of the conversations I've had with my kids is, is like, Hey, you have this friend and anytime you do something with them, you lose, they win and they will do anything to make sure that you lose and they win. Is that a fun relationship for you? And I'm not going to tell you what, if you should stay with that friend or go away from that friend. My question to you is, 
if are, are you surrounding yourself with the kind of friends that you are, or are you surrounding yourself with people that take advantage of your friendship and, yeah. and kind of talk to that conversation. And I, I think that when we had that conversation, it was like, you could kind of see it kind of plant a little bit of seed to, I wasn't telling you, you can't hang out with this friend anymore. But what I was telling you is how do you feel when you hang out with them? And is that something that you want to pursue or something that you want to start to grab away to uh, gravitate away from? And I could, I could see that that relationship changed over time. And for me, it was, I didn't have to say you, you're not like, I'm not drawing a line and creating a boundary. I was, you know, being side by side, like you said, in that conversation mm-hmm. of let's take a look at it. Are you seeing what I see? Cause this is what I see. I want the best for you. And I don't think that's happening here. Uh, are you okay with that? And I think sometimes they just need to sit back and think about it and go, no, I'm not. I don't, I don't think I want to do that. Yep. Awesome. You know, we all get in situations as dads that we don't think we can handle. I remember years ago when I, Pastor and I talked and I took over dry gulch. I've never run a camp before. I had no idea how to run a camp, but I know who somebody, I know somebody that did. So I remember going to dry gulch and walking around dry gulch and I just got alone by myself. And here's what I said. I said, Lord, you're the best camp director I know. Teach me how to do it. And he did. Then I went to run Lincoln Christian school for nine years. I I didn't even go to college. I went to Bible college, two years. I didn't know how to run Christian school. I didn't even have a formal education. So when I got to Lincoln, I walked around Lincoln and I stopped and I said, Lord, you're the best school administrator I know. Teach me how to do it. And now I'm in next gen and I have to pray the same prayer. And some of you, some of you guys, whether you're young or old, you're going to have to pray that prayer about your kids. Lord, you're the best dad I know. Teach me how to be a dad. You know what he'll do? He will. I appreciate you kind of taking the time to have this conversation with with us as a brotherhood. I think this is stuff that we need to hear on a more frequent basis for sure. But hopefully just even in, in the moments that we've had here to kind of talk through this, uh, that we've maybe... St- encouraged some of our brothers. We, we've encouraged some of the men, some of the fathers that are in these roles. Mm-hmm. Um, as we kind of close this out, I kind of want to kind of, you know, leave the floor to you. Um, and, and the question I wrote here is, you know, what's, what's the bad news and what's the good news? I, I'm curious, like from your perspective, what's, what, what are you seeing that is the bad news and, and what do you see that's the good news as, as we kind of move forward in the world that we live today with our kids? Well, the bad news is it's going to get worse. Yeah, oh, great. I shouldn't have asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll say this. The, also, the bad news is, is, guys, we're really bad without Christ. And we only get worse without him. So the only way to solve this is to truly humble ourselves and come to him and say, Lord, I got to have you. I don't know what to do here. And listen, Jesus was born into a culture that was probably more wicked than the one we're living in, in the Roman. And he thrived. So it's, and he had a relationship with God. And that's the only way we're going to get it. So the bad news is it's going to get worse and we're not equipped for it. The good news is God's in it. And we don't have to have all the answers. He has them. And as soon as we submit to him, get his wisdom on it, 
he'll teach us how to raise our kids. And that's the good part. The good part is, is he redeemed us. The bad part is, is we're bad. The good part is he's good. And we just get to, if we follow him, great. We're going to be good. Not perfect, not flawless, but what other option do we have, to be honest with you? I don't know. You have the goods in your relationship with Christ to raise great boys and girls. And do it. Just go do it. If you need help, ask for help. I'm around all the time. I'm at church. Ask me. You're not going to bother me. Am I busy? Yeah, but who isn't? Your kids are important to me. So it's not going to bother me that somebody stops me in the middle of the hallway and says, Hey, Greg, can we talk? I need to ask you something. Great. Perfect. Do it. Go to Brotherhood. Get get connected to some people that know what they're doing. So that's what I would say. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Greg. I, I've really appreciated this. Uh, I'm I'm definitely I listen to all the podcasts multiple times, but this is one that uh, I hope that everybody listens to multiple times because I think there's so much in here that we need to hear, uh, and we'll figure out a way to to, to continue these conversations because I think this is something that we need more as a brotherhood. Brothers, remember honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the King. We'll catch you on the next podcast. Mm-hmm.